good. But today is Sunday, but there's something more important than today. What else? What kind of a Sunday is this today? Palm Sunday. Today is signifying Palm Sunday. Now, here's the thing with Palm Sunday. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, on this Palm Sunday, was riding into town on a donkey. There was a prophecy in Zechariah that said the Messiah is coming and he's going to enter into town riding on a donkey's colt, right, a young donkey. So what happened is, here's Jesus. Let me just paint a picture of this. Jesus is on this donkey because he came as a humble king. He came as a servant, right, that he wasn't on a big stallion and marching in, but he was humbly sitting on a donkey riding into Jerusalem. Here's the picture is, as he's coming into Jerusalem, basically he's, he's signifying and letting everybody know, I really am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. I'm announcing it. He's riding into Jerusalem, the holy city. All of his followers, he's been spending three years of his life walking around doing miracles, preaching about the love of God, showing not just like reading the word and, and the message, but he's backing it up with the miracles and the wonders that only God can do. People are, are getting risen from the dead. Other people have leprosy and they're blind and Jesus is coming on the scene. He's healing people. He's setting people free from demonic. They have friends that are like, oh, I don't know why Jesus, you know, my son, he keeps on throwing himself into the fire and trying to drown himself. There's demons on him. Jesus comes along and he sets the boy free. Like Jesus is doing all of this. He's feeding the 5,000 and his followers are just like, this is the guy. This is the Messiah that's been prophesied about for hundreds of years. He's the one that's going to overthrow the Roman government the God's people are going to rise up and we're going to, we're going to have freedom and, and he's going to just overthrow everything. This is our king. This is amazing. So as Jesus, Jesus is riding into town on this donkey, this humble colt, people are coming and they're praising him. And they got, bear with me real quick. Why they call it Palm Sunday is, is God's people start just ripping up the trees, right? In the name of Jesus. They start taking palm branches, it says, and they start waving them around and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to God in the highest. The word Hosanna means save now. They're going, you're the man, you're going to save us. This is so good. And they're taking their coats and their clothes. And as he's riding into town on the road and the palm branches and they're throwing them down, they're laying them down before you come. Jesus, come here, ride over this. Like you're so worthy. To today's day in, uh, day in mind and what it brings to mind is rolling out a red carpet. It's basically saying, you're royalty, you're the man, and we don't even want you to ride your donkey on the dirt. Here's my jacket, here's the palm leaves. And this is a joyful celebration. This is what Palm Sunday is all about. In fact, in Scripture, it's called the triumphal entry, where Jesus is triumphing and he's coming in, and everybody is just fired up all around him. But here's the deal. What's going on in Jesus' mind is a different picture. That's a different story altogether. As he's riding into town on this donkey, you know what he's feeling? He's got to be feeling, we know, the word we're talking about here today is worry. Why would he be feeling worry? Well, no, no, pastor, he's a son of God. He didn't feel worry. This was his mission. Well, the reality is that there's several places in the New Testament in Scripture where Jesus said, man, this is rough. Father, Dad, if there's any way that this could not happen to me, like, could you make that happen? But not my will, yours be done. He's worried. Why is he worried? Because I believe he already knew what he was riding into town to do five days later was going to be him being falsely accused, being arrested, being held up all night on trial, being whipped and beaten and tortured and ultimately crucified on a cross. So as everybody's cheering for him on this Palm Sunday, he's riding into town on the donkey and he's a little bit worried. Why is he worried? He knows what he came to do. But don't you think that Jesus is probably going, Father, I know that I'm ultimately going to be killed so that everybody could live, and that's good. But he's worried, thinking, what's it going to be like? See, Jesus didn't know 
how many times people are going to whip him, what that feeling was going to feel like as the flesh was being torn off his back. He didn't know. He had no idea of knowing all the details of how many people are going to punch him in the face when he's walking by, putting crown of thorns on his head, spitting in his face, mocking him, making fun of him. He didn't know probably the full extent, and he's worried of how many of his closest friends and followers, what that would feel like when they turned their back on him and they all ran away and they fled. The people, as he's riding the donkey down the road to Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday, his, in his head are, which of these guys are going to stick around when I have to go through the trial that I'm going through? And the answer was none of them did, right? And that the worry that he must have been feeling in the flesh as everyone else is rejoicing, knowing that days from now he was going to go through this horrible thing, it's almost too much to even fathom. But here's what we know about Jesus in Hebrews 12, 2. Talks about him and it says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Now here's the key word we've been talking about in this series called perspective in Philippians in chapter four as we're going to dig into today. Because of that key word joy that's mentioned over 19 times in this very short letter by the apostle Paul to his friends in Philippi. Because of the joy, again, let's define it, the calm delight that only comes from the Lord. The calm delight that comes from the Holy Spirit that says, you can be okay riding this donkey into town to await your death in a few days, knowing that God has a plan and he's in control and it's not based on circumstances. But you had to know that Jesus was probably worried. Here's a definition of worry. We're talking about this today because the Apostle Paul's talking about it. It's anxiety, it's doubt, it's stress. Literal translation in the Greek using the word that the Bible is originally written, the New Testament in Greek. The original word that they use here for worry means troubled with cares. That means all of us have things we care about, and we should. God says, you know, love people and, and enjoy what the blessings that he's given us. We have cares, things that we care about. But worry takes over when you begin to be troubled and burdened by the things that you care about. And so Jesus is feeling this, and Paul is writing this, and really it responds to all of us. All in this chapter today, Paul is talking about worry. And the book of Philippians, as you guys know, he was originally writing a letter to his friends in a church he had started about 10 years previous, in about AD 52. It's about AD 62 as he writes this letter. So these are his good friends. He started a church there. He loves these people. And he's speaking to them, and he didn't put chapters and verses in his letter. He literally just wrote a letter to his friends, thanking them because they gave him some gifts recently, met his needs, but also saying, hey, let me tell you guys what's really important in life, because I'm in prison right now. Paul's in Rome, chained to a, a Roman guard 24 hours a day, house arrest. And he goes, let me tell you guys what's really important in your life, because I love you. You guys are my friends. I've started that church there. It's growing. Thanks for the gifts. Let me tell you what's really important in life, having the right perspective, and that perspective is joy is that you have calm delight no matter your circumstances. I'm in jail right now, but joy is most important. It's changed my perspective that I can actually live a fruitful and fulfilling life in Jesus Christ, even though I'm chained up and I might die right now. So he's telling them this, and in this last part of his letter, we put it in chapters. Someone, you know, commentators along the way have broken it up into sections. Chapter four, his main focus is this word, worry. And how many of you guys, if I asked you right now, is there anything in life that you're worried about right now? Who would raise their hand and say, yes, I'm worried about something, right? We either worry about our past. Oh, man, I made some mistakes. I screwed up my life. We worry about the present. I'm in this situation right now. This is terrible. This is going to be hard. Or what's the killer is we worry about the future, which we haven't even experienced yet, haven't even seen yet. And we waste so much of our time worrying about something that hasn't even happened yet. Man, I worry all the time. I'm worried. I want Easter to be big. I want people to find Jesus in our church next week. 
I'm worried about that. Am I doing a good enough job, God, as a pastor? Probably not, but Jesus is on my side, and I'm going to keep doing better. Amen? But I worry, am I, am I stacking up? Am I good enough dad to my kids? How are they turning out? Because i got to wear that responsibility. Am I loving my wife the way that I really need to? I, I need some work on that, God, but, but I believe you're in my life. But there's lots of things for us to worry about, jobs, all kinds of situations that are going on. And today, the Apostle Paul is going to speak to us about how to keep that right perspective and to really understand and recognize that worry is a bad thing and how do we deal with the worry that comes in our life. That we could be like Jesus in knowing that this situation looks terrible and in the flesh, I'm worried and I'm scared of what's about to happen. But because of the love of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit, he was able to ride into town and to go through with what we're going to read about Good Friday and Easter Sunday that brought victory for all of us. So how do we get that perspective? And there's a couple of things. I just want to work our way through this chapter, chapter four. And the first few verses are, are personal. He's dropping some names to some personal friends and he takes care of personal business. But when we get into the meat of dealing with worry and how to have joy, let's pick up in verse four in Philippians chapter four as he's writing this letter to his friends. And in the first service, I almost messed up and I said, the Filipino friends. They're not Filipino <laughs> He's not writing to his friends in the Philippines. The letter is to the church in the town of Philippi, and they were called Philippians, not Filipinos. But anyway, this, if you're Filipino in here, this message is for you as well. So take it to heart. It's for everybody. But here's the first verse. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. He's making this thing. Hey, you guys are my friends. Let me tell you something super important. Always be full of the joy of the Lord. Rejoice. I'll say it again and again if I need to. Let everyone see that you're considerate, which is very similar to the word joyful. It's, it's basically talking about delight, that you're, you're considerate in all that you do. Let it show. Let your joy show. Remember that the Lord is coming soon. Now, you would just read that and go, oh, yeah, that's, that's a couple of nice sentences. That's small. But Paul's really saying a lot here. When he's saying always be full of the joy of the Lord, what he's saying is keep a full tank at all times. That's my first point. Keep a full tank. How many of you guys have ever run out of gas before in your car? Anybody? That's all? Man, you guys are responsible. I was terrible. As a kid, one of my cars didn't even have a gas gauge. Like it was just always on. I can't remember if it was always F or E, but either way, it was always lying to me because I didn't know what was going on. So I'd always have to get in my car and just kind of go, how many miles did I drive last time? Like, how many more do you think I got? And I would always, it was like a gamble, right? But there was a couple times the gamble didn't pay off. I broke down on the Pulley Highway one time in the middle of the night, and it was raining, and we didn't have cell phones back then. You guys remember the dark ages back then? No cell like, I had a pager, beep, beep, beep. A lot of good that's going to do me when I'm broken down. Like, someone's trying to get a hold of me right now, and I'm broken down. There's no pay phone. There's nothing. Pagers were just like a waste of time, right? It only worked if someone needed you. But I'm broken down on the poly, ran out of gas. Broke down on the North Shore, went surfing, drove far, didn't, didn't guess the mileage on it, and I broke down. And, you know, you have to scramble. You have to borrow people's phones. You, actually, you have to go and talk to people face-to-face. -face. Imagine that, right? No Facebook, no texting. Like, hey, I broke down. Can you help me out here? You know, the old days. And see, what I learned is I've now become a person that I don't know if it's OCD or if it's just honestly the fact that I learned my lesson because I broke down with no gas in my car so many times. If my tank starts to hit half tank, I'm filling that thing back up. Anybody like me out there? You just want to protect, you want to be ready, right? Some of you guys, it's the opposite. Like when that E light comes on, it's like a challenge. You're like, ooh, I'm down. Let's see how far I can go, right? The E light, and you're just like, yeah, push it, right? 
But I've learned to become someone that is always keeping my tank full. Here's the reason is, you never know when you're going to need it. You never know when someone's going to be like, hey, we got to go out to the North Shore today. We got to do this. I don't want to have to go, oh, but wait, at first I got to fill my tank. It's empty. It's running low. I want to be ready at all times. And so this, I think, applies to our joy level is that Paul is saying this. Keep your tank full of joy because you never know when you're going to need it. Don't run it down to empty and go, but I'm coming to church tomorrow so I can run it down and I'll get filled up again. See, always be full because you don't know what's going to happen to you this week that's going to sideswipe you, steal your joy. And if you're already at empty, then you're going to be at a terrible place because you don't know how to find joy in the midst of work. Keep that tank full. Paul is saying, hey, I'm going to say it to you again and again. Rejoice. Always be full of the joy of the Lord. You should be so full, he says in verse 5, that everyone should see it, that you should let it show. See that I think these are great. This is a good idea, that we should be inviting people to church and we should be giving them a card. But I think if you're really living your life right in front of your friends, they're already going to be interested in your church before you even invited them with a card. Why? Because they see the joy in your life. They see the way that you live your life, the decisions that you make, the life that you speak in other people, your positivity. There's something different about you that you've already piqued their interest in your church before you ever invited them to your church and introduced them to your Savior. Because you're living a way that Paul is saying is, hey, let everybody see that you're considerate and all that. Let everybody see that your tank is full. It should actually show. I want people to look at me and go, not instantly go like, oh, Carl's a Christian, he's a man of God. But I want people to go, that guy's really nice and positive all the time. And he just seems to, to say the right words at the right time. I want to be that guy. I want to be so full of the joy of the Lord that it shows. And that's what Paul is saying is, it better show. Let everybody see it. And then lastly, in this little short phrase that's powerful is, when he says, remember the Lord is coming soon. Now, you could read that as almost like a threat. Like, hey, get caught doing something good because God could come at any moment. You better be doing something good. And it's kind of like a, whoa, it's a threat. But the reality is Paul's not saying that. He's actually saying in some of your translations, your Bible translations, it might say that the Lord is near or the Lord is close by. And that's a little bit more accurate definition of this word here. That Paul is saying, hey, be full of the joy of the Lord. Keep your tank full. It should show to everybody else. And let me encourage you, if it starts to go on empty, let me just remind you that God is nearby. He's close right by. The source of joy, the source of peace, if you feel like you're running low and, and you're, how do I stay full of the joy of the Lord? Paul's going, remember, God's right there. He's close to you. See, my, my daughter is nine years old, and to this day, she still wants my wife to sleep with her in her bed like every single night, right? Anybody got kids like that? Like you want them to sleep in the bed, they want you, whatever, like, like they're scared of the dark. And the other night, my, my wife went out to exercise. It was Sammy's bedtime. And Sam's going, no, mom, don't leave. Like, stay with me. Sleep in my bed with me. And she says this, Sammy, don't worry. Dad's in the next room. And so the comfort came with knowing that dad's right there. He's in the next room. That's good. But that wasn't good enough for Sammy, right? It's like as soon as my wife left, Sammy comes into my room, lays down next to me, sleeps in my bed, which is hard for me because in the middle of the night, she's one of those kids that likes to move. And I'm always getting like the dropkick heel, like right into like bad areas of my body. You know, I'm sleeping on, oh, and she's like, Ugh, uh. so it's like terrible for me when she comes into my bed. I love you, but that hurts, right? Here's what, here's what I see though in that is that Sammy is onto something. She knows the closer I get to my father, the safer I am. And Paul is saying, hey, remember, it's hard to keep your, your tank full, but let me encourage you in this. Remember that God is near, that your Lord is nearby. He's close to you. And the closer you are, the safer you are, and you can keep that joy up and that worry down. Amen? 
And that's only in the first couple of verses right there. Well, let's look further because Paul talks a little bit further. In, um, verse 6, he, he gives us a real easy formula and, and I, I don't know, kind of just a simple definition of how to deal with worry. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. It's just such a simple but powerful verse. Don't worry. Instead, pray. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. And here comes the result of it. Then you'll experience his peace which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live. You continue to dwell in, stay in relationship with Christ Jesus. Prayer brings peace, and peace cancels worry. Paul's whole point is, like, we all worry. There's a lot of things to worry about, but let me tell you how to deal with it. Instead of worrying, let your first reaction, your natural response, first be to pray. Because when you pray, peace comes along with the prayers. It's a, it's a natural thing. But here's the thing, like in any sport or hobby, you got to train yourself how to do it. When you first start to pray, it's kind of awkward for you. Why is it awkward to pray as, as a human being? Because we are the answer to all of our own problems. I got this. I'm in control. I'm going to do this. I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to raise this money. I'm going to do this thing. I got this thing. But as a Christian, what we learn is it doesn't work so often. As, even as non-Christians, we realize that doesn't work so good. So prayer is when we actually go to God. That's awkward to say, but I got this. Prayer is going, Jesus, you need to get this because I can't do this. So it's awkward. Like with any sport, you start off learning it. Pastor Rob was talking to me about how to have a good golf swing. I'm not a golfer. Anybody golf in here? You guys are good golfers. And, and you know that you got to get the, the whole swing down. That's the key to everything, right, in the game of golf. And he's saying when you first start, it's weird. you got to hold your fingers and interlock them and do all this stuff. And you got to take the right stance. And like, I look terrible. Look at this is how I would golf. Like, <laughs> It's like, I don't, even, I don't even know, right? So you're learning a sport, just like prayer. It's awkward at first. I'm not used to this. I don't know this. But then you start learning the mechanics. Well, here's how your swing is. Hold it like this. Do this. Get the shoulders. Do whatever. And it starts becoming mechanical. But that's not even good if you stay in mechanical mode because your swing is all choppy because you're like, think about that. Think about that. Think about that, right? And when we pray, it's hard to respond first with prayer because we're like, no, I got this. Then you start learning, you come to church, you get to know the Lord, and you start going, oh, this is what you're supposed to say, the Lord's Prayer, this is how I'm supposed to do it, but it becomes mechanical. But what Paul is hoping is that you get to the point in your prayer life, like in your sport, where that swing just becomes a natural thing. And you know why it becomes natural? That looks super bad, yeah? (laughs) All you golfers are like, he looks so dumb up there. I know. But maybe my thing is surfing or whatever, that you get to the point in your sport where it just becomes a natural rhythm, like you paddle for a wave, get up, and you can surf, and you're, you're good to go. Your prayer life, Paul is saying, get to the point where it becomes so natural that your first response every time, pray first. Hey, don't worry about anything. Get so in the natural thing. And the reason that it be- can become natural, the reason that the golf swing becomes natural is, one word, trust. You trust that you've done it a million times before, and you've gotten good results, and so you just fall into rhythm. You don't stop at mechanics and awkwardness. You just go straight into that rhythm that you know. And see, when I go straight into prayer, it's just like, I know God has come through for me before. He'll do it again. So I'm just going to pray. It becomes a natural response every single time. Isn't that good? Is it, don't worry, just pray. Pray first before you try to solve it on your own. Matthew 6, Jesus speaking, or speaking about Jesus, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, this is Jesus, and all these things will be added unto you. What he's trying to say here is, Pray first. Give it to God first. Go to God first. If a worry comes along, instead of going, what do I need to do? Just instantly, God, what can you do about this thing? I just release this burden to you. Psalm 94, 19 says, when doubts filled my mind, doubts meaning what we're talking about today, worry, anxiety, 
stress, when those kind of things filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. Now, I believe this about prayer. I believe the reason that the Apostle Paul is saying prayer is so important to canceling worry is that prayer is a two-way conversation. That oftentimes we think that, oh, pray about everything. That means, God, I'm going through a hard thing right now. I just need to vent to God and give it all to him. Well, that's only part of the solution. That's only part of the power of prayer. The second part to the power of prayer is the response that you get when you lay your burdens at his feet. Are you guys hearing me today? That prayer is equally important in the talking to God as the receiving from God. And some of us don't stick around long enough to listen to the response that God gives us. I was going through a, a, a tough situation a couple years back and just conflict with people, people disagreeing with me and saying all of this stuff and there's chaos and gossip and all that. So I'd go to my friends, my good Christian friends, and I would, I would just vent. And then part of it felt really good for me to get it off my chest. I just need to like say what's all going on. I'm hurting guys. I don't understand. I'm being attacked. I don't know what's going on. So part of that felt good to unload. But the second part that made it better was when my friends came back to me and they said, yeah, but Carl, trust God. He's brought you this far. He's not going to let you fail. Hey, he loves you. He's got promises available in your life. He can do this in your life. And they spoke life back into me. And why Paul is saying prayer is so important is, is not just in the you giving him all your worries, right? It talks about in, in Peter, like lay your burdens and worries and anxieties, uh, cast them on him because he cares for you. But it's the power of the second part when you sit in prayer and you listen to what he's saying to you that's going to build you back up and speak to the worry and calm the fear and put down all that depression and struggles that you have in your life. See, when we did the 21 days of prayer and fasting, that's what we were doing. We talked about that as we were turning down the distractions of the world so we could turn up the volume of God. That we'd go to him with prayer to learn to pray first, not just to drop it all on him, but to listen. You know, we've, we've created this webpage on our, our website. If you go to myanchor.church and you look at our webpage, there's like banners that scroll across the top. The third one that comes up says, 21 days of prayer and fasting results. And you know what it'll give you? It'll give you all of the cards that you guys turned in, all of the emails that you wrote in that said, when I began to seek God first and harder than I ever did before, here's all the things that he did in my life. And I want you to go to that thing. Maybe today, go take a look. It'll inspire you to realize there is power in prayer. And when Paul is saying, hey, don't worry, pray first, it's because prayer Brings, brings the peace of God that cancels out all that worry in the first place. You're going to go through and you're going to read all these testimonies from your friends, people you're sitting in church with right now, about how God came through and the power of prayer is a real thing. So Paul's saying, lean into that and remember as much as you talk in prayer, make sure that you listen in prayer as well. Then he drops in down into verse 8. And remember, guys, he's just talking in a letter. He's just rambling about the goodness of God and about worry and his thoughts on it. And he goes, now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. In other words, here's a really important thing. Fix your thoughts, everything you think about, your mind, your attention, on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. He's saying, focus on the God stuff. If you want to kill worry, then focus on the wins and the victory and the things that God is doing in your life, the accomplishments. Stop focusing on all the negative stuff. Focus on the God stuff. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you've learned and received from me, everything that you've heard from me and saw me doing. Hey, not only think about this stuff, but live it out in your life. And if you're dedicating everything in your life and you're guarding it under God's protection, and if you're thinking of all the good things that he wants you to think about, it says this, then the God of peace will be with you. 
I like that because he's not just saying you're going to have peace, that a feeling of peace will come. He's actually saying the God, the creator, the inventor, the one that created the whole concept of peace, he himself is going to be walking with you if you think and act and live according to his plans for your life. What is holy, what is true, what is right, what is honorable, what is lovely, be focused on those things. What Paul is telling his friends in Philippi, not the Philippines, in Philippi, he's saying, hey guys, just focus your whole life on thinking about God, on knowing God and his plans for you. Just make sure that everything in your life lines up under what he has for you and that worry is going to disappear. That the actual God that created peace, he's going to be walking through your problems with you. There's this wall, this pretty famous wall that I've heard of. It's in China. Anybody ever heard of the Great Wall of China? It's pretty well known. Um, There's this wall in China called the Great Wall of China. We got a picture of it. Can we show that first picture? The Great Wall of China, this epic, huge, amazing, long series of different walls. You guys know it's not even just one wall that over hundreds of years is that people in China have built different sections of wall basically to keep out intruders. Look at the next one. It shows you throughout the history. These are all different uh, pieces of the wall that have been built through different time periods. So it's a really, really big deal. In fact, it says this about the Great Wall of China. It says, the Great Wall of China was built over many hundreds of years to keep China's northern enemies from invading. They're protecting themselves against the Mongols and all the invaders. The Great Wall is so wide, the chariots could ride across the top of it. Anybody ever been to the Great Wall of China? Some of you guys have? Man, I want to go there so bad. It's like bucket list for me. But it's so big that chariots could ride across the top of it. It's one of the few man-made objects that astronauts can see from space in a low Earth orbit. Now, everybody has always said, like, it's so big you can see it from space. And they basically, science disproved that and said, you have to be at a pretty low Earth orbit in space, but not from the moon or anything like that. But it's so big that literally in a low Earth orbit that astronauts can see out the window, I guess, through their cameras or whatever, they can actually see the Great. So this is a massive wall to keep out invaders. But here's the thing. The Great Wall did not keep the enemy out. It was ineffective. The enemy, many times throughout history, breached this Great Wall. Now here's the thing that makes the point. They didn't breach the wall by breaking it down or going around it. They did it. The enemy invaded and breached the wall by bribing the gatekeepers. Isn't that crazy? So this huge wall is created, but every so many thousands of feet or whatever, because it's thousands of miles long, depending on how you measure it or whatever. It's several thousand. It can be as, as short as like one piece, 3,000 miles, or like 13,000 miles. It's a big wall. But every few distances set apart, they had these little small openings for like one man to fit through, to go out there and go on the other side, check the maintenance of the wall, get through on the other side, check things out or whatever. But the weakness is in those little openings that came along is all the enemy had to do was bribe one guy. And then they got in and they conquered. And the the cool thing about the Great Wall of China that speaks to us is I believe this verse that Paul is actually talking about right here It's saying, focus on all the good God stuff. Be guarded against all of those things in your life and watch out for the little openings and the little gateways in your life that are gonna let worry sneak back in. That's why he's saying, one thing I gotta tell you guys, this is important. He says, my friends, focus everything that you know and the way you live on the good God stuff. If you leave an opening, the enemy can get in. If you leave an opening, I'm pretty good and I trust God in all these areas, but I'm really worried about my kids. You know what you just did? You left a little opening, a little gateway that could be unguarded. And the worry can sink in and it can lead to some heavy stuff, anxiety, depression. 
He's saying is guard every opening. Your, your opening, your little guard, guardway might be different from mine. But when God says, I want it all, that's because he really knows that he's going to protect you from the depression. Some of us in this room today are struggling with depression. Depression is really common. There's a lot going on in all of our lives and anxiety. And you may come to church and wear a smile and praise the Lord and all that, but you're hurting right now. And God wants that out of your life. He's just asking that you would protect every single area of your life and don't leave an opening for that worry, that anxiety, that depression to sneak into your life. One of my friends said recently he had an experience where he'd been a Christian for a long time, but God suddenly like revealed himself in a Holy Spirit moment. He was broken. He was crying. And and God told him to do some pretty significant things. He goes, hey, I, I want your whole life. You want me to bless it? I don't want you worried about any of your past and things that you've done. I want you to surrender it all. And one of the things he did was he had to confess some pretty heavy stuff to his wife that he had done previously and years before. And he knew that if I confess this stuff, God, I could lose my wife. She might not want to be with me anymore because the stuff I've done is pretty horrible. And he said it actually crushed her for a period of time. And he was scared but he's trying to be obedient when God said, I want it all. He didn't want my friend living his life secretly with these little doorways and passages of worry and sin and temptation. And so he was like just building this wall of protection, focus everything. It crushed his wife, but you know what happened? God's grace also came into the picture. And when God calls us to obedience, he also provides, provides a way of grace and of forgiveness and of love and of restoration. And today you look at this family, you would never know that what God has brought about. But he says, people just don't get it. When God asks us to give everything, we gotta be obedient. We have to give everything. So I don't know, maybe what one of the, the, the openings in your life right now might be your family. It might be sins from your past. It might be this one wor- wor- area of worry about the money for your future. Man, money rules us more than any other God, right? And in the Bible, it talks about that. As we like, oh, am I gonna have enough to retire? I'm gonna have enough for all of this stuff? Now we're leaving an opening for worry. We just need to dedicate this stuff all to God. So focus on the God stuff, and he'll bring you peace. Then the last like, part of the sermon here in, in verse 11, as Paul goes down. And in verse 10, he's kind of thanking the, the, the Philippian church. He's going, hey, guys, thanks for su- supplying my needs. Thanks for the gift that you gave me. But then he goes, says this interesting in verse 11. Not that I was ever really in need anyway. He goes, hey, thanks for the gift, but really, to be honest with you guys, I didn't even need it. And they're going, what do you mean? We heard you're in need. We gave to you. We did all this. He goes, not that I was ever really in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I didn't have much at the time, and you guys blessed me, and that's cool. But really, I wasn't even asking for it. It It was a blessing from God that you did what you did. But I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. In other words, contentment, opposite of worry. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every single situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or, or with little. And then he makes this statement, one of the greatest statements in the entire New Testament. He says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul's writing to his friends, again, this letter. Guys, I gotta let you know this one thing. Thanks for everything you did for me, but honestly, I don't really worry too much. And here's my secret to not worrying in life. Here's my secret to winning in life. Here's my secret to being content, even though there's been times I've had no food, I've had no sleep, I've been beaten up, all this. I'm good. You know what? No, I'm good. Here's the secret. Write it down. Philippians 4.13. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Here's Paul's secret. I can't do anything. He's telling his friends. He goes, yeah, what's your secret, man? What's your formula? What's your 10 steps to a, a perfect life of contentment? Paul just goes, it's real simple. I, I'm, I'm weak. 
I got nothing. I can do nothing. And the sooner that we admit that we cannot control or bring peace or joy to the problems that we're worrying about, the sooner we get there, the quicker God is to act in our lives. The secret is this. You can't do anything on your own strength. And when you get that, it changes everything. God, it's got to be about you. I'm going to pray first. I'm worried about this. Jesus, can you take this thing? Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> I need you to come in into my life right now. I, it's not me. It's not about me. One of my friends said he, um, he's been paddling again this season. And he hasn't paddled for like a year and a long time. And when you just pick up paddling on a team, it's sore the first week or two weeks, he's saying. So not only did he start paddling again on the team, but like several days of the week, he's paddling with the team, races on the weekends. But the off days that he's not paddling on the team, he's coaching all these young kids to paddle and he's paddling with them. So he's every single day of the week, just about, he's paddling and he goes, oh my gosh, it's killing me, Carl. It's working my body. Like I haven't, I got to get back up to this thing. And I go, man, I'll be praying for you and all this. He goes, no, but it's good. And that's what he tells me the other day. It's good because he just recently started a relationship with Jesus Christ within the past year or so. He goes, this is my first paddling season where I got Jesus on my side. And so now I got the strength to do whatever I need to do. And I was like, that's it. That's Philippians 4.13. Whether it's paddling, whether it's a relationship, whether it's finances, Jesus is on your side. And the sooner you understand you can't do anything and he can do everything, that's when worry begins to dissolve in your life. Amen? So that's what he's saying to us. And then he drops down to verse 19. And this is the Apostle Paul again speaking, the super Christian, started all these churches, man of God, able to take whippings and beatings and keep on preaching the word. He says, but the same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. I like what he's saying here because he's saying this. He's going, yeah, you guys look at me and you're like, oh, I wrote all of these books in the New Testament and I, I started all these churches and all this. And honestly, he's one of the guys on my short list of who I want to meet first when I go to heaven, right? Isn't he? Like the Apostle Paul, I just want to go and just give him a hug and just go, thank you for inspiring me. Thank you for living that life that taught me how to live for Jesus. Man, you're amazing. But when I read the New Testament sometimes, maybe you're like me, you read about Paul and you feel like about this big in your walk with Jesus Christ. I read about Paul and I'm like, oh man, he's the man and I'm just down here. And what Paul is saying here is, no, God doesn't play favorites like that. When he's giving you the peace and the joy to dispel worry in your life, He's not looking at you and going, well, he gives more for the super Christians and he gives less for the baby Christians. Paul is saying, the same God that blesses me can bless you and meet all your needs as well. Isn't that good news for you? Some of you barely made it into church here this morning, right? And you know who you are. I'm not gonna, like, oh man, the church is gonna fall down if I show up today. But God is going, I got just as much blessing and peace and love for you as I have for super apostle Paul. If you just surrender to me and give your all to me and do it like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, then God's got the same amount of blessing for you as he has for anybody else. Amen? Man, that's good news right here. Because what Paul is actually saying is the baby Christians, the new Christians, you have an advantage. Right? Because sometimes those of us that have been around the Lord for a long time, we get tainted, we get, fall into complacency, and we kind of, we, I don't know, it gets, it gets to be like almost old habit. That's how the word says uh, in one part, part, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. God, let me live as an older, mature Christian with as much zeal as I had when I was a baby Christian and I first found the goodness of God in my life. I believe that the baby Christians oftentimes, oftentimes have the advantage. It's like in real life. There's babies back there. I see someone holding their baby. Anybody, you have babies right now in the house? Anybody ever had a baby? Anybody ever been a baby? Cool. So you get the point is this. Babies have an advantage because if you think about their life, they don't worry about much. 
Anytime they got something to worry about, and something happens, right? Someone puts food in their mouth. Someone get, gives them milk or whatever. Or, or like, ah, there's a mess down there. Someone wipes it, cleans it up. You know, babies always, people are just hugging them and loving them and cuddling them. And they don't even have to get around on their own. People are strolling them around, and they're just smug. They're just like, yep, I know. People push me everywhere. I'm the man. Like, babies have the best life possible. I think Paul is actually trying to say, like, it doesn't matter if you're like me or the same God that supplies my needs can supply your needs. And if, like Jesus said, you just have the simple faith of a little child, see, there's an advantage in having that childlike faith is little kids, they don't worry about a thing. Why? They trust their father. They trust their mother. You got me. You're taking care of me. I love that Paul ends it with that, and he's saying, yeah, the God that takes care of me, what you see of me, your mentor, your disciple, discipler, your pastor, now he's got the same amount of love and will supply all of your needs as well. So don't worry. Pray first and seek the peace of God. Someone wrote me a testimony this week. I love hearing the testimonies, by the way. If God's doing stuff in your life, we love to hear it. There's a part on that website that says, uh, here's all the stories that people have shared, but there's a part that says, click here, share your story. We would love for you to share the story of the goodness that God's doing in your life. We just want to celebrate with you. So someone wrote me this, this long email, and it's all these pages they wrote in their journal this past week, and she like uh, scanned them all in and put them in the computer, but basically she's living proof to what we're talking about today. The true peace and true blessing and true joy can only come through Jesus Christ. And she's someone that wrote me this long story that said for her whole life she suffer, suffered with depression. Now, I don't take depression lightly because there's a lot of people that are going through depression. And it's more than, like I said, just some little snazzy sermon that says, hey, cheer up, be, of, be happy, and don't worry about things. It can only come from Jesus, amen, to defeat depression. It's a big, it's a medical condition. And people take medication for it and therapy and all of this. But I also believe that a lot of that healing comes from Jesus Christ and knowing him. It's a spiritual battle as well. And this woman was writing and saying, I've been struggling with this for my whole life. She goes, something began to break last week in the message and on Sunday and what God was personally doing in my life. In fact, she sat in church last week and said, you began talking and I couldn't believe it. The only thing that would have made it more personal is if the pastor would have put my name in the sermon. It was all about joy and, and not just about keeping the law. It was life to my bones and I began to come to life. She then went home and spent the whole rest of the day listening to worship music. And the phrase kept coming to her, my presence is joy, like God speaking presence of God is joy in your life. She was at the point where prior to last week's message and what God was doing, she was ready to run and to leave her faith and to turn her back and go, God, enough of this depression. I can't handle it. I, I'm not even getting anything from you. And she said this, God gave her a vision of a little child with a little suitcase who was ready to run away from home, but came running back into her daddy's arms. And she said that's what God was doing for her this last week and because of the message and her getting close to Jesus. He, uh, he woke her in the middle of the night and, and told her that when I'm in God's presence, then no darkness can come. And that was the key, and that was full of hope. And I must stay in the presence of God. She says because of that encounter that she had last week, Part of it was right here in, sermon, in the sermon, in service. God speaking through me, whatever, I don't even know. I'm just trying to be obedient, but God was speaking. She says, this is the first real light that I've seen in such a long time. And she believes that her, her season of the winter is over and God is healing her from depression. That's huge, ladies and gentlemen. If you've ever struggled with depression, you know that it's just not just gonna go away on something. But Jesus alone 
has the power to conquer depression and worry and anxiety and fear and doubt in your life. And that he wants to do that. He's waiting here every single day to give that to you. So I'm going to end the sermon a little bit differently here today. I want to pray two prayers. I want to pray the first prayer to give anybody in this room an opportunity to say yes to a relationship with Jesus. That you'd walk out of the room knowing that you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. Because the first uh, prayer kind of plays into the second prayer. The second prayer I want to pray is for everybody in this room that is struggling with worry, anxiety, depression, despair, and you're at your wit's end and you're just tired and you need a boost of that joy from the Holy Spirit. It only comes from Him. But I don't believe you can get the joy of the Lord that comes from the Lord unless you've prayed the first prayer which says, I'm a Christian and I'm in relationship with Jesus because Jesus works everything through relationship. And so we're gonna pray together right now and I'm gonna pray a prayer in the beginning that's gonna help actually just walk you into starting a new relationship with Jesus. And then we're gonna pray for everybody in here today because real joy only comes from Jesus. We're gonna pray that he's gonna do something in our lives here today. Is that good? So two prayers. Let's pray the first one right now. Lord, we come before you right here today, Lord, and we know that real joy and peace and happiness can only come from you. It's in a relationship with you, Lord, and and many of us in the room here today, we do know you already, and we thank you for that relationship that makes possible all the blessing that you have for us in life. For some of us in the room here today, this is a big first step, and we know right now because something's working in our heart and in our mind that's saying we got to get on board with what God has planned for our lives. And if you're sitting here today and you're pondering and you're wondering, should I say yes? Should I become a Christian right now? What's this all about? You need to know this. There's a God in heaven that created you. He intended you for a relationship from the start. But we know that our own sin came into the world. And sin is nothing more than us choosing to do things our own way. It happened in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. They just chose to do things their own way. So sin entered the world. And because of that, mankind has just had that in their nature as they're born. We've just all missed God's best because we want to do things our own way. But the solution is that God sent his own son to come to earth to bring us back into relationship with him, that he went to a cross to pay the price with his own life. That's what Easter is all about. So that we could die to ourselves. If we would put our faith and our trust in him, we identify with him and that all of our sin and our wrongdoing and our separation would be dead with him at the cross. He put it to death. But the thing about Jesus is he didn't stay dead. He got up three days later, later, conquered death, conquered sin, conquered all of our separation issues and baggage and bondages that get in the way of us knowing God. He died for that. He put it to rest once and for all to give us new life as he was made new. And that all we have to do is believe in that message that he did that for us and then begin to follow him, commit every part of our lives to him all the days of our life and that we're free, we're healed, we're forgiven. He's not judging us. He's not making fun of us. He's not feeling, making us feel less than He's saying that we're his own kids and he's gonna be with us for all of eternity. Even when we die, we get to spend eternity with him in heaven. And if you've never made that commitment to Jesus, you've never prayed that prayer asking him to be the Lord and the savior of your life, you can only get the peace when you have the relationship first. If you wanna make that commitment today, I wanna say a prayer with you. Simple prayer that would just bring you back into right relationship with God. I'm gonna pray the words out loud and I'm gonna ask you to join with me, but you pray them quietly in your heart. God hears you. He judges us on our heart. You can go and tell someone you prayed after service, but right now, let's take care of the heart issue because that's what matters. If you want to pray this prayer with me and you want to you pray in your heart, when I'm going to pray out loud, I'm going to ask you one thing. Everybody's eyes are closed and heads are bowed. No one's looking, but I would love for you to tell me right now that you're going to pray with me by raising your hand. 
there's anybody in the room right now, would you just lift your hand and hold them up? And I just want to acknowledge you. Good. I see you. I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven people, eight, nine. Looking around, is there anybody else? Someone in the back, 10, 11. There's anybody out in the courtyard. There's pastors out there that see you. God sees you. There's at least 11 people in service here today. Go ahead and put those hands down. And would you just make this the prayer of your heart right now? God, I'm here today and I understand that I need you. Lord, I may not I may have known you and fallen away, or I may not know much about you, but what I hear today, I like. It's, it's doing something in my heart. It's speaking hope to me. And Lord, I, I've got some worries of my own that I would like lifted. And so, Lord, I know that the way to get them lifted is to know you. So, Lord, right now I'm telling you I believe everything you did at the cross, you did for me. What you did coming out of the grave, you did it for me. Lord, from here on out, I believe in you. I receive that gift of salvation. I'm going to follow you all the days of my life as I, as I read my Bible, as I come to church, as I receive the power of your Holy Spirit to make me a new creation. Lord, as I get water baptized, Lord, everything that you have for me from here on out, from the bottom of my heart, my answer is yes. Yes to you, Jesus, and all that you have planned for me. Thank you for loving me enough to die on that cross. Thank you for beginning a new work that I'm going to see new results in my life. I'm not just going to be a part of a religion, but a relationship where God's actually changing me. Thank you for doing that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can we praise God for the people that prayed that prayer for the first time? Amen. That's good stuff. 11 of you today and however many else prayed that prayer, God's going to do new things. I would love for you to do one thing, though, because we're going to, about to pray that second prayer. Don't check out on me now. We're going to pray another prayer for everybody in this room. But if you prayed that first prayer with me, you take out that connection card, and on the back of it, it says, I said yes to Jesus today. Check that box, write your name, drop it in the offering bucket, take it to the blue wall. They got free Bibles out there for you. Someone will get a hold of you this week, and just in a gentle way, just offer all that we have as a church to be able to bless your newfound walk with Jesus Christ. But I want to pray that second prayer right now, and I think it's really important that we do. Because you could preach every sermon in the world, but if you don't actually receive the power that God offers, then just hearing a good sermon isn't necessarily going to change your life. I want to make available to us right now the faith that we have in knowing that true peace and true joy only comes from Jesus. So we're going to ask him for it right now. Can we do that? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm going to ask you this. If you're struggling with your eyes closed right now with some crazy anxiety or depression or fear or doubt or worry, that you would do something physically just to kind of let God know, let yourself know that you want to let go of that stuff to God and you want to receive all that he has for you. Do something physically by this. Just put your hands out in front of you right now. Just open as if you're letting go of something, but also that you're receiving something. So symbolically, we're just going to do this. I'm doing it right now too as we pray. That basically, we're just telling God what we need from him and letting go of the stuff we don't need. So if you do that right now, join me in prayer. God, right now, simple we want to let go of our worries. Lord, all the things that we can name right now in our lives, some of them have people's names and faces on them. Some of them are situations. Some of them are empty bank accounts. Some of them are question marks over our future. Lord, we let go of that worry right now. We release it to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, there's nothing we can do that's powerful right now but the fact that we're asking and praying in your almighty name and asking the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to release this stuff. Lord, that depression and despair and anxiety would go now in the name of Jesus from people's lives and from their hearts. Lord, that we would lay everything at your feet and also as our hands are extended, Lord, that we would receive the power of your Holy Spirit that brings peace, that brings your grace, your healing, your forgiveness, your joy, the calm delight that only comes from you in knowing that everything's gonna be okay. Right now, Lord, it's a releasing and a receiving, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name, that our lives would be different, that we'd begin to experience new life and new freedom and new growth starting this week. In Jesus' name we pray, 
Amen. 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 I believe God's doing something. Look, if God can speak and release someone from years of depression in the sermon last week, I believe that what we just prayed right there, he can do for you as well. And you just got to trust in that and believe that. And if God does something this week, would you take the time to write us on the church website or Carl M at myanchor.church? Let me know what God's doing. I love to just rejoice with you. I'm going to pray for you.